marching through Genesis, one of my favorite books. I guess whatever book you're in, whatever chapter you're in, sometimes that's your most favorite. So, But I have uh, a fond uh, place in my heart for Genesis. It has all the, uh, the foundational things that we need are laid out for us here as God is unfolding his master plan. And as uh, we follow in Dave through here, he uh, finished up in verse 17 of chapter 27 in Genesis. I'm going to read the whole chapter. We're just going to jump into God's Word. I don't have any clever stories for you or anecdotes or anything. So we'll just read uh, all of 27. Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see that he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered him, Here I am. Then he said, Behold, now I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And make me savory food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may, may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son. And Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring in and to bring it in. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me, that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according as uh, what I have commanded you. Now go to the flock and bring from there two choice kids of the goats, and I'll make savory food from from them for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father, that he may eat it, and that he may bless you before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to him a deceiver to him, and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. And he went out and got them and brought them to his mother, and his, and his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the choice clothes of the elder son Esau, which were in her house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids and the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she gave him the savory food and the bread, which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went to his father and said, My father, and he said, I am here. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arrive, sit, eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you found us so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord has brought it to me. And Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I might feel you, my son, whether you're really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother's Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, you are, are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. He said, Bring it near to me, then I will eat of my son's game, so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of the field, which the, excuse me, the Lord has blessed. Therefore my God gave you of the dew of heaven. May the God of heaven give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth 
with plenty of grain and wine. Let the people serve you, and the nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren, and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be those who bless you. Now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from the hunting. He also had made savory food and brought it to his father. He said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of, the son, of his son's game, that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? And he said, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. And Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry, and said to his father, Bless me, me also, O my father. And he said, Your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, he is, not, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now look, he's taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master, and all of his brethren I have given to him as servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I now do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth, of the dew of heaven from above, and your sword, and by your sword you shall live. And you shall serve your brother, and it shall come to pass, when you become restless, that you shall break his yoke from your neck. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing which his father blessed him. And Esau said to his heart, in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise and flee to my brother Laban in Haran. And stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. Uh, if Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth like these who are the daughters of Lamb, what good will my life be to me? Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for your word. And as we travel through this, Lord, we thank you for the powerful truths that are on the surface and then are hidden. And as we dive into your word tonight, Lord, I pray that we would glean the things that we need for our own souls. Lord, you would challenge us to our core. And that, Lord, you may speak to us in profound and new ways. That you would correct us. That you would bless us. That you would equip us. That you would enable us, Lord, to walk the walk that you have set for us. We thank you for your provision and your love and your grace so freely given to us. Thank you for your mercies and your goodness, Lord. In your name we pray. Everybody said? Hopefully we get further than that. We're well on our way. Better set my clock here. It's a big old chapter. I love God. Do you love God's word? I love God's word. What a great comfort it is. What a great strength. Uh, what a great hope. What great instruction and, and healing and 
the truth of God coming through that meet in need of the needs of our own life. I love this. And what's so important, and we're going to see in the next chapter, if we get that far, I hope we do. I promised Dave we would, so that's why I did that. The most beautiful and profound picture of the gospel. What a wonderful portrayal of this, the human condition which is confused and disturbing, full of greed and jealousy and uh, betrayal and deceit. <laughs> and we see God come and meet a lonely man in the middle of the desert running for his life, not knowing where he's going to end up before and what's going to transpire as his life's unfolded. We see God reaching down from heaven and ministering to him and touching him and meeting him and making a provision for him as he'll make a provision for us. Amen? Again, as Dave continues to remind us, this is for our learning and for our admonition. If you think this is some silly story about some dysfunctional family, some old, blind, uh, lazy uh, father, a mother who's conniving, who loves one son, her son Jacob and Esau, and got favoritism going on. You got this, it's a wormy story, isn't it, not us? Don't you love God's word? It doesn't pull any punches. It is, if you were going to write your family history, you would leave this chapter out. You go straight to 28. We just go 26, 28. But God doesn't do that for us because we're just like that, and we need that touch. One of the things I just want to bring a little context to what this story actually means as I look at it, one of the many things that it has. But if you go back to chapter 25 just real quickly, we have to remember these two brothers are wrestling in the womb of their mothers are wrestling now. And Rebecca would say, what's going on, Lord? And the Lord would speak to her in verse 23 and said, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger one. Because the truth of the matter is, there's only two kind of people in this earth. We either are walking with the Lord, or we are not walking with the Lord. We either have a personal, interpersonal relationship with him, or we do not. Period. Two kinds of people. And it says, they shall be separated. As we see these boys in this story, their life is being their lives are being separated. The Lord is sorting things out. Doesn't he sort things out? He's going to sort out the goat from the sheep, isn't he? He's going to sort out the godly from the ungodly. He's going to sort out the righteous from the unrighteous. His judgment is perfect. He would tell Samuel, you, Samuel, you look on the outside, but I see the heart. He knows what's going on. When we stand before the throne of God, he's going to sort us out. And that, if you know him, that's a very blessed thing. Come into my father's house. Come into the place that I prepared for you. Or be gone. I never knew you. That's the criteria. These two boys are being separated. And they must be separated. They're twins. Isn't that a picture? The twins were intermingled in in this world with our family. And Jesus would say, part of the problem is your own enemies will be in your family. Huh? Is that the truth? We must be sorted out among that. We look at 
And what's interesting to me, a carnal, worldly Christian, he kind of dabbles, he goes to church, he has done all the ordinances of the church, but he's got one foot into the world. We know if you read the church in, in Corinth, it was a, what, a very carnal church. It was very interesting. It's envy, backbiting, kind of divisions going on, and, and spiritual pride. It looks very much like a very moral person, a guy that has a good job. He goes to work. He pays his good wife. He, he, he does. He pays his taxes. He goes to church, but he doesn't know the Lord. They look very much the same. It's part of the curse of the church. Jesus said there's going to be tares among the wheat. The tares look just like the wheat. And you cannot separate them until when? The harvest time. And the wheat begin to bow down from the weight of the, of the grain that's on the end of it. And the tares are, are being separated. And he says, I have to wait to the end because I can't dive in there and take care of this without damaging some of the wheat. So at the end, I'm going to do what? I'm going to separate the wheat from the tares. He's separating, isn't he? And that's the struggle of the church. We have false brethren in the church. They're wolves dressed like, and they talk like sheep, and they act like sheep. Satan is the great counterfeiter, isn't he? So in the church, we have this mixture of a carnal Christian and a worldly man who wants to be moral, who looks very much like they look very much the same. And Jesus would go even further and say there's this problem with lukewarmness. He said, I'd rather have ye hot or cold. The cold is trying to hide itself into the warm, and the warm is trying to hide itself into the cold. And he says, I'm going to do what? You're, you're going to be sorted out. I need you to, in, there's no, because what Jesus is saying, you're either hot or cold. There is only two kind of people. And we like to, we're, we're great compromisers, aren't we? we? If you look at your own life, you kind of, you look at the good part. You look in the mirror, you see the good part. And the ugly part, you kind of dismiss, it's not that bad. We have a hard time judging ourselves. But the Lord is in the process of sorting us out. The church will struggle with this, but you don't have to. You can have your relationship solid and fixed on the rock of who Christ is. Amen? First Peter or Second Peter would say, make sure your calling and election is what? Be diligent to make sure that it's sure. Make sure you are in the faith, Paul would say. The writer of Hebrews would say, there's things that accompany salvation. Are they present in your life? You can be fixed and know for yourself. We may not know anybody else in the church. It's not my business to know it. It'll get sorted out. But who are you? In this story, we see God separating. And we see these two sons. They're passing ships in the night. One is going on to a deeper, more profound a relationship with the Lord. He's going to see the Lord. He's going to see his Christ. This ladder going to be extended down from heaven to earth. The blessings of Abraham. See, Jacob was interested in the seed. The seed that is would be Christ. That would come and bring salvation. He was interested in the priesthood. 
to be the priest of his home. He was interested in spiritual things. I love it in Hosea. God's going to chide Israel for not having any heart or desire to be after him. Jacob had this tremendous drive as he catches his brother's heel. We're going to see in the story he's catching his, his brother's heel and using his brother to get this blessing. Albeit in the wrong way, but he, God is going to honor that. We're going to see if God meet him and, and be with him. God is in the process of revealing who we are. We're a little seed. What kind of seed are you going to grow up to be? A fruit tree? Or an old razzled, ugly, uh, we have these trees in our backyard that are uh, hawthorn trees with these little red berries that no one can eat. The birds eat them and go crazy. Thorns like that. But we don't know, when you look at that seed, what kind of tree is that going to be? And God's going to allow you, through the circumstances of your life, to reveal to us who we are. In this story, Isaac's heart's truly revealed. He goofed up, but at the end, he does the right thing. Esau's heart is revealed. He only cares for this temporal thing. Not understand the eternal consequences of what he's asking for. Rebecca's heart's revealed. Conniving and working and striving. And Jacob's heart's revealed. He's going to go on and meet the Lord as this process, as these two sons are being separated. Timothy tells us some men's are clear, clear their sons' men's sin are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment. But some of those it follows after. It'll, but it'll be separated, it'll be known. And he says, likewise, the good works of some are evident, clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. God's in the process of revealing who you are. Not for his sake, but for your sake, and for those around you. One day we'll all be uh, separated one to where there's only two places we know some people want to make again we like this strange place in the middle that we fabricate in our mind because these absolutes are very troubling to us you either know the lord or you don't one day we'll be eternally separated and i want another thing that's important here these people knew god's will did we just read it in 25? Rebecca says, what's the deal with these two kids? The Lord lays it out. Rebecca knows it. Isaac knows it. The two boys are know it. It gets passed down. You know, God speaks a word to you that profoundly. You're not going to share that to them when they get older. It's not enough to know God's will. And you go to the, Bible, you know, the Christian bookstore and you'll see how many of the uh, knowing God's will section. 27 books, 500 books. 2,000 books later. Uh, knowing God's will is the most simple thing in the world. If you know him, you're walking You know his will. If you read his word, you know his will. It's not a mystery. He's not hiding his will from you. We're not begging to know what he wants you to do. He tells you what he wants you to do. Listen to this passage in Colossians. He said, Paul's praying. He says, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we do not cease to pray for you and ask that you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Didn't Jacob need to know what he knew what God's will was, but he he needed to know how to implement that. Isn't that our 
sometimes we get away ahead of the Lord, and sometimes we fall behind. Sometimes we resort to our own. Abraham knew God's will. And what did he do? He's helping him out. I, it, to know God's will can be very dangerous. I need spiritual wisdom and understanding in order to implement that and bring that out in my life. And he's going to teach you. He said, Hebrews says, by reason of use, you know what's good and evil. You know how to discern good and evil. So I have to walk this walk and walk in this life and make mistakes and stumble and fall. And God puts up with all our ups and downs. But if you have a heart for him, you will learn how to implement God's will, aren't you? Amen? That's what this story is telling me. It's powerful. It's sweet. And it's good. I love it. And i got to say, the whole thing of this thing rests, the weight of this mess and sordid thing rests on who? Isaac, who's the priest of the home? And what is Isaac allowed? Where we, see, we have some spiritual insight into Isaac. Isaac doesn't like to confront. Did you know that? He's the well digger. And every time he dug the well, the Philistines come along, hassle him, and he say, oh, let's just move on. We'll dig another one. Again, we'll just dig another one. He doesn't want to fight. That's fine. We're going to see here he doesn't want to fight between his two sons. He doesn't want to tell the truth about what's going on here. And we see his eyes are dim. What happens when your eyes are dim and you're blind? You know where you're going? He's not walking in the light, is he? And then we see him in this place where he thinks he's going to die. He's going to live another 40 years, 45. Some commentators say 45 years will go by. He's just out of tune. He's out of step. He's just thinking, as, as uh, Dave uh, pointed out last week, I, I, give me this, I, for me, for me, for me. Go make this stuff for me. Go, it, it was all about him. Because I'm going to die. I've given up. He retires. Don't retire. Huh? Let's just keep moving on. The day you stop growing, the Lord gave me a wonderful picture about our life. A river. And we were camping one time, and we were sleeping, and I'm hearing this river go by. And it's 3 in the morning. I'm thinking, well, this thing, when I'm not here, it's flowing just like Sunday, just like this. It flows 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I'm on the bank. And the Lord just showed me that picture. When you wake up in the morning, you roll into this river. And you know what that river is? The world, your flesh, and Satan is, is flowing against you. They flow 24 hours a day. Can you tell me when Satan takes a break? How about your flesh? One day you wake up and you say, I'm serving the Lord today. My flesh is his. I don't even have to deal with my flesh today. As you stub your toe and say something you shouldn't have said. And the world, all the billboards all change and have scriptural references on it. That stuff is flowing 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I, the picture, you roll out of bed. So you're either swimming upstream or you're floating downstream. And as I, I get this picture of Isaac and this little side eddy, you know how the water just kind of stills there and the water's kind of stagnant, just kind of moving, but it's not going anywhere. He's just kind of, you ever find yourself in that place in your walk? Get out and start swimming. And how the Lord, the Lord gives us strength to swim. It's a mess, and again, it comes back to men, the leaders, the priests of the home, 
when the guys aren't in the right place, look at what happened. He could have sorted this out so much better. He could have saved so much grief. He's going to miss the raising of his grandchildren. He's going to miss seeing his Jacob for 20. He's going to not even know who his wife is. Rebecca will pass away before Jacob will ever come back. The stuff that we cause because we're in the wrong place. But I love that God's going to intervene, isn't he? Does he intervene in your life? Huh? Doesn't he kick you out of that little comfort zone? Don't you like to get in that little nook? And he kind of changes the circumstances. You got a new boss. And things don't flow like they used to. Now I got to, he wants me to do what? I had the other one all trained. I don't have to do that. I'm messing with my life. God is so faithful and he's so good. So let's jump into verse 14. All that to say this. <laughs> See, it's so terrible. On and on. So in 18 through 25, we see the picture. I think this is how we got the story of Little Red Riding Hood. Don't you? <laughs> when I read this, oh, what big teeth you have. <laughs> you know, it's just silly. It's just, he knows. Can you read the story and go, he knows. He knows. It's Jacob's story. Like, oh, must be Isaac. He knows. He will ask Jacob four times, who are you? And the sad thing for Jacob, he responds, I'm Esau. That's on Jacob. Sad. And again, as Dave pointed out, one sin, one, sin, one lie leads to another lie, to another sin, on and on and on. And Isaac knows something else. Don't you think, now listen to this. If you weren't sure, here's here's this, this blessing, this priesthood, this sacred, the Messiah is going to come through the seed, the promises of Abraham. How important is that? Isaac could have raised his hand and called in a servant, could have called in anyone and said, who is this? He doesn't like to confront, remember? He could have put an end to this very quickly and to verify it. He's too lazy to confront. We know he's being lazy, don't we? And complacent. And blind to his heart. And he knows what God wants him to do. So verses 26 through 29, he blesses him. He finally gets over the hump. And I want, you to, I want to remind you, you know, Jacob gets a bad rap, and I wish I had time to talk about Jacob, but this isn't about money. This isn't about material things. This is all deeply spiritual stuff. This is where the seed, the Messiah is going to come, the Redeemer one day. That's, that's what Jacob knew. And I want to follow in the steps of faithful Abraham and my father Isaac. And I want that blessing. I want God to, I want to have a personal deep relationship with him. I want to have an eternal impact at the end of my life. I want it to mean something. All Esau cared about was what would feed his stomach temporarily and then be expelled and do it all over again. Jacob has these, this eternal perspective, this spiritual understanding that his life has, a, has an incredibly important role to play in the history of mankind. Please put Jacob up on a very 
high pedestal because you know what God does. There's no one sense he he comes. We'll see him in the next chapter. God appears to him, reveals to him his his plan, <laughs> this ladder. Calls him a prince to wrestle with an angel. And God said, "You've prevailed with God and with man, with me, and I'm going to bless you." Interesting if. Uh, in verse 29, Isaac says, be master over your brethren. If he really believed that this was Esau, he was going directly against the revealed will of God. Thank goodness it wasn't. And I just want to remind you, they're just words. <laughs> they're, these are just words. Where does the real anointing come from? Where does the real sorting out come from? His words are what God had already proclaimed. And what God's plan was ultimately going to fulfill and, and uphold. At the end of the day, the fruit is shown. Jacob, the man. Jacob is my man. And he would say, Jacob, I have loved and Esau I've hated. He hates, God hates that flesh. That all it thinks about and feeds and just wants to feed itself. It's selfish self-centered and degrading and 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 worthless. And it's opposed to him and his government because the flesh wants to rule. We need to come under God's government. I love it in verse 30. Here you go. Now it happens. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Here it comes. Whoops. You put all that stuff in the blender and you shut the lid off and you turned it on. That's what Isaac did. He poured in all of that savory food and all this lack of spiritual awareness and life and vibrancy in him. He, he's, he's put in this whole concoction and he flips the switch and it went boom to his whole family. When the men failed, who suffers? When the leader suffers, what happens? There's a mess everywhere. And he goes, whoops, whoops. Now it happened. The harvest is swift and sure, one commentator would say. I, uh, that, without a doubt, when you hit that switch, that power switch, and everything hits the wall, every, it's a mess. It's all over you. Everybody was in that room. And uh, how long did it take you to clean that up? Happy-go-lucky Esau. He just got that, I guess, is a feeling when he comes in at 31. Here you go. I'm here. I'm back. I'm here to get my blessing. He didn't know what the blessing was about. He didn't care. He already showed that, demonstrated it. And I love it. This, this whole thing is Jacob's caught the heel of his brother, wrestled in, in the womb. So in, verdict, thir, in, in, in verses 32 and 33, we have the greatest account of indigestion in the history of mankind. Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Who are you? Where? What? He trembled exceedingly. Remember when the children of Israel mocked the Lord and put him to the test and said, Where's, We're sick of this manna. Fried manna, boiled manna, baked manna, 
barbecued manna. We're sick of manna. Give us some quail. If you really loved us, give us some quail. He said, oh, I'll give you some quail. And he said, while it was yet in their mouth, they died. It's in his mouth. It's all coming back up. I tell you that right now because you know what he's afraid of? He knows he's reminded of the will of God. Because at the end of verse 33, he said, I, I ate of all that was, that was brought to me. I have blessed him. And here's the most, one of the most important things he could ever said. And indeed, he shall be blessed. He blew it up to this point, and there's a mess in the kitchen. And he's, he says, the only way I can fix this is come back to the truth and say the truth is he's the man. I am sorry, but he's the man. He's going to pronounce it and, and affirm it further that this is permanent. Again, they're just words. If Jacob had really stolen the blessing, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, all Jacob had, Esau had to say, this is done by default and by fraud. If somebody used to buy someone's home and they really didn't own it, and at the end of the day, you know, you, you go to take possession and you find out somebody else owns that home. I just bought it from you, but it belongs to him. We, where do you go? You say, oh, dar oh darn, got me. <laughs> you sort it out, don't you? It was done by fraud. You were ripped off. If this was truly what happened, Esau could just say, Isaac could just say, hey, Esau, hey, hey, uh, Jacob, you're out. He knows. He knows what happened. It was the will of God. And he pronounces the blessing is permanent to him. Um, when Esau hears the words, these words, verse 34, he cried a bitter cry. In Hebrews chapter 12, it gives us God's commentary on what Esau is going through right here in his heart and in his mind. Hebrews 12, if you want to turn there, it'd be good to do that. Hebrews 12, verse 16 and 17. Listen to what he calls Esau. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. A fornicator is somebody that's unfaithful carousing around. And Esau had joined himself to the women of Canaan. He's going to join himself to places he should not have joined. And he has no heart for the Lord. His love is for hunting. He's a man of the field, remember? He has no heart for the Lord. He's a fornicator when it comes to the Lord. He's not hooked up to the Lord. Or profane person. You know what it means to be profane? It's simple. We have our own little definition of profane, but in the Bible, it's very clear. Holiness, or being sanct holy, holy to be holy means you're sanctified, you're set apart. This, what made the articles, the spoons and the forks and the bowls and the tabernacle and the temple holy was not because of what they were made of or what function they served, other than those items were solely used for God, period. The priest didn't take the spoon or the bowl home and put his uh, frosted flakes in there in the morning and eat from it. That is called profane. It's common. It wasn't these bowls and articles in the temple were not 
common. They were used only for God. Profane means it's common everyday use. God wants us to be sanctified and holy unto who? Him. When we present our bodies as what? A living what? Sacrifice. We give it all to him. That's what he wants. That's holiness. <laughs> it's that giving away. And you don't use your body for your own purposes, your own fleshly desires, your own promotion. You use your body and what he's given you and gifted your mind is used for him. For his kingdom. This kingdom mind, your, your mind is hooked up to the kingdom. It's hooked up to the heartbeat of who God is and how he functions. says, here's the indictment. For one morsel of food, he sold his birthright. For a, a, a red bean stew. Wow. His birthright. He said, for we know, you know, afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, here we go, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it diligently with with tears. Didn't say he found, couldn't find repentance. There was no place for it. And you know what that means? It means he made his bed and now he has to sleep in it. He worked hard to get to this place. He had rejected his birthright. That's the whole context of this. He didn't care about it. He had earned it. And now he had to sleep in it. I wonder the things that I forfeited because I've done what I wanted to do. And it's some cotton candy. How many of you, you know, you love cotton candy? What does it do in your mouth? <laughs> Gone. Here's this big, fluffy thing. The things of the world and of your flesh said, oh, you grab this big old giant thing, man. Look at you. Take a taste of it. It's sweet. Oh, man, I love it. <sighs> Gone. In a blink. And I've given away eternal things to go satisfy some <laughs> cotton candy that melted in my mouth. It was no good, had no substance to it, no lasting, enduring thing. Because remember, he had sold his birthright. That's what the book of Hebrews reminds us, is telling us. He sold it and gave it away for that. Because really, this is the fruit of the test. <laughs> this is the fruit of the sorting out. This is the revealing of the decision that he made so many years ago. And it's going to bear fruit. Jacob's fruit is bearing. He wanted the birthright. He wanted the blessing. And he's going to get it. And his fruit in his life is going to bloom in his relationship with the Lord. And he's going to go on further with the Lord. And Esau's going further away. Interesting, each have 12 sons. Esau and Jacob, two nations. Coming up. And sadly... Isaac says in verse 35, but he said, your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. Sad statement, but not true. First, God had given it to Jacob before they were born. Second of all, Esau sold it away to his brother. Number three, his father had just given it to him. Jacob didn't steal anything. The one who is stolen, the one that is the usurper, the one that is the surplanter is Esau, not Jacob. And guess what happens? Because of these two little verses, and we look at the next verse, verse 36. 
And Esau said, now this is Esau, not God. Remember this. Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now look, he's taken away my blessing. It's a lie. It's a lie. But what sticks to Jacob? Who's Jacob? You know what his name means? The root word of his name is heel. And Esau is going to use that name in the, in the language and twist it and make a little uh, 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 manipulate it and make it now heel rep. This whole idea of heel kicking is, is supplanting, is usurping. It's a play on words in the Hebrew, which I'm not that familiar. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but it's, it's and, and, and Paul will do it in the New Testament with the Greek. He'll do it all the time. These little uh, nuances in the language, he'll use it to make a point. Especially like in uh, Colossians with the Gnostics, he's just going to twist the word knowledge around and make them expose who they really were by, the, by just the terms of the words and how he uses it. He uses it against here. Jacob, his brother. So his dad, in 35, I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed with you, Isaac, when I get to heaven. God's not, but I am. <laughs> the truth of the matter, Isaac should have right here, right then and there, said, son, I need, to, I need to confess my sin. I need to repent, and I need to ask for forgiveness. That I favored you above my son, my, the God, well, who, uh, uh, above my other son. Above and beyond God's will, I've gone, I've extended myself way too far. I'm sorry. I repent. I love this. When he cries, he surplanted me. In other words, what he's saying is you've healed me twice. He healed me twice. What's the promise in Genesis 3.15? What's the promise? What was this the seed going to do to Satan? He was going to crush his head with his what? So isn't Jacob crushing the surplanter, who Esau, who would want to take this spiritual blessing, who's profane and, and, a, and a fornicator, to have the priesthood? He wanted the priesthood. Jacob didn't allow him. He healed him twice. He crushed him. And it'll be interesting is how Jesus was portrayed. How did the Pharisees categorize and characterize Jesus as what? False. A surplanter. What authority? We have the authority. Whose authority do you have? You've come to surplant us and remove us from our place here. We have the priesthood. And he said, no, I have the priesthood. They would malign Jesus, wouldn't they? In the process, he's crushing the head of Satan. It'll be interesting at, at, at these two seeds. The last known descendant, descendant that we have of Esau, because Esau is gone. Is Jacob still around? Do we have an Israel? last known descendant of Esau we have is Herod. The very Herod that Jesus stood face to face with. The two, the seed and Satan and his seed. Face to face. 
Jesus wouldn't even respond to him. Herod wanted him to do some trick for him, to please him, like I've been about the flesh. Interesting. Jesus would crush him ultimately. At the time, Herod thought he had the authority and the power, but he would lose. Interesting, isn't it? The fulfillment of the prophecy of Genesis 3. Psalm 37, Isaac answered unto Esau, I've made him your master. He's have given him as servants. He's given to him. Finally, at the end of the day, Isaac tells Esau the truth. Amen. I love it in Hebrews. There's just one little verse in the hall of faith. It says, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the things to come. This he did by faith. Amen for Isaac. He confronts his fears and his failures, and he plainly states the truth. Son, Jacob's son. And he said, the Bible tells us in Hebrews he did it by faith. Amen? Is there hope for you and me? There's a whole lot of Isaac and me, huh? There's a whole lot of Jacob, Rebecca. Isn't the Lord good? You see Esau weeping some more. Again, their generations will pass. And Jacob will continue on into eternity. 41, we see the real heart of Esau. Here we see it. Here this happy-go-lucky hunter having his, having his day on the field. Now he becomes what? As instead of being indifferent and carefree sportsman, he now becomes very bitter, vindictive, neurotic young man. Hatred and bitterness will always lead to murder, won't it? Said, I'm going to murder him. And it's interesting that um, Rebecca would say he's comforting himself. also tells me the spirit will always suffer at the hands of the flesh. Your flesh does not like the spirit and the spirit will always confront the flesh. They're at war with one another. There's no middle ground. As much as we like to find middle ground, as I said before, there is none. You're either walking in the spirit or you're walking in the flesh. There's no, he didn't say you're walking in the, how do you say, say spirit and flesh in one word? I don't even know how to do that. I'm not that clever. Huh? Yeah. Either there or you're not. You're here or you're over here. And I want to mush it all up. I can only comfort my hatred or my bitterness if I attack someone who's weeping as causing. And really, it's my own response to the situation. It's really revealing what's in my heart. He's not the guy he thinks he is. He's he thinks he is. God's revealing all that. Now in verses 34, 43 through 45. The sad story here. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise and flee to my brother Laban and Haran and stay with him a few days. <laughs> a few days turned into 20 years. And Rebecca would never see her son again. Quite a mess he put in that blender. Quite a heartache for us. You know what? She got what she wanted. Jacob got the blessing, but she bargained for what she didn't bargain for, she got more than what she wanted. 
was a harvest of sorrow returned to Nazareth. I've done for hours. I used to do a lot of counseling, a lot of marriage counseling. And the hurt that one would do to another, husband to wife or wife to husband, and they both had inevitably it's there. And the picture the Lord gave me was you, you have a this ever have a small body of water like a pond and it's perfectly still. And you get a little pebble and you throw it out in the middle and you see these these rings concentrically just going out very evenly, right? They just boom, boom. The ripples go out. Well, what happens when those ripples hit a tree stump, a boat, the docks? What happens to those ripples? Boom, they, they start coming back, and then they hit off of those, and they start coming back. And now they're coming back at, at way different angles. And they're coming back at different times, different like waves of them. As they went out like this, they're coming back, boom, erratic, depending on what they hit and how they hit it. And it's going to come back. My sin, as I throw that pebble out there and I think I have it under control, I think I'm going to get what I want. What is going to come back to me is this harvest, this thing. It's going to come. Sin is going to hit you upside the head where you didn't even see it. Because it bounced off of someone else, some other circumstance that you had no idea the consequences of your sin. Be careful when you make a decision to sin. You're going to get more than what you bargained for. That's a scary thing. I love one commentary. He said the misguiding of a man's blind hand was a sin. But the touch of that hand was a fact. Being a fact, it had passed into the hands of God. Man could not revoke it. Anger could not annul it. Regret could not deny it. It was henceforth the will of heaven. Amen and amen. God's got a plan and a purpose for your life, no matter all the the crazy things we do. What's in your heart is going to come out. And if you have a heart for him, it's going to come out. If you're selfish and self-centered and seek the flesh and that's what you really want, that's what's going to come out. And if you see that ugliness come out, you see the wrong kind of fruit, you raise your hand and say, Lord, thanks for showing me. (laughs) I couldn't see. I was blind like Isaac, and I was lazy like Isaac, and I wanted sought comfort, and I didn't want any conflict. Lord, help me to see, and by faith we move forward to do the will of God. What do you think, Gabe, my boy? Oh, man. Verse 46 really belongs in verse 1, because now we're talking about sending Jacob away. And Rebecca said to Isaac, I'm weary of my life. You know, because Esau had already taken the wives of the, he'd already corrupted himself. <laughs> where did where did Abraham send Isaac? Away. Don't marry these women here. Go back home. And now they know they're going to be sending Jacob home. He's 75 years old. What did Dave say? He's like 45 today for us. Pastor Dave, he's got it. Where's Isaac? Why hasn't he gotten a wife for his son yet? Another thing he's failed at. However, Isaac comes alive and aware of the legacy of what's going on. He says, go, son. He's an ascendant. He's called Isaac, called Jacob in verse 1, and blessed him and charged him and said to him, 
you shall not take a wife for the daughters of Canaan. That's explicit instructions that he had received from his, that his father instructed him and had walked through as he sent his servant off to find him a wife. Listen to this. May God Almighty bless you. If Jacob's such a rat and such a conniving, you know what? This is a pretty profound blessing. He gets the blessing of Abraham. This is repeated now. This is the second time. You know, when Jesus said, truly, truly, verily, verily, when God begins to repeat things, he's cementing them. He's making them permanent. He's making them important. And he says, may God multiply you, almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you. And may you be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham. This is what Jacob wanted. Oh, he wanted the blessing of Abraham. To you and to your descendants, he was thinking eternally, not for his gut, for, the, for an hour that it would satisfy his stomach. He's thinking of eternity, his descendants. What is he going to leave behind? How is he going to impact the human race for Christ and for the kingdom of God? That should be our heart. That you be inherit the land in which you are a stranger. You know, we're in this, this is, we're in a land, we're in a strange land. And Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to prepare, prepare a permanent home for you. This isn't your home. Hebrews would tell you what, these men of faith were looking to a city not built with hands. Built by God. Something had eternal worth. What are you doing in your life that has eternal worth? And it isn't what you do, it's who you are. You're a bricklayer, you do it for the Lord. And who what comes out of you isn't some building and brick and mortar. It's your life as you put those bricks and mortar together, as you rub elbows with the worker next to you. Is the kingdom flowing from you no matter where he's placed you? In the body of Christ, you are important. You have eternal consequence. How many of you have had a, a, an attack of your gallbladder? How many of you even think of your gallbladder? But when it goes bad, it hurts. It's crippling. It needs to be removed. And that little thing you never thought about, all of a sudden it gathers all of your attention. A kidney stone. Ooh. It's tiny. We're, it's what, what we do and who we are in the body of Christ is important. We have eternal, I want to have eternal consequence. When I stand before his throne, what in my life is going to get burned up and what is not? It's going to get put to the fire. He's going to divide it. He's going to divide all your actions because they need to be divided. Because what needs to go into the kingdom goes to the kingdom, not junk. You ever think of a clean room? Who knows about computers? And the manufacturing, they have these clean rooms and microns of dust. Uh, they get it down to the microns of dust. Could you imagine what heaven is like? And if there's any self on you that's left over, as you walk into the king, he's going to let you contaminate the kingdom? His throne room? No. You're going to pass through that fire. If you go into a clean room, well, you're going you're to get all gowned up. And you're going to pass through this corridor, and they're going to blow air on you, and they're sucking air out of you. They're blowing it on you. They're trying to remove every particle of dust, every micron of contamination from you. And if they could put you through the fire, they would. But God will put us through. What's going to last in your life for eternity? 
doesn't matter what you do. I hear, I hear Christians going, I just need to be satisfied at the job I have. What's that? I'm washing dishes or I'm making dishes or I'm the chef or I'm the owner of the restaurant. Who cares what you're doing? It's how you do it. My satisfaction, my reward, my portion is in Christ. Because if I only find my satisfaction in what I do, that's transitory. Amen? How many of you have lost a job? Raise your hand. How many of you have lost a job? How many of you have lost a loved one? How many of you have lost a career? They come and go. But a portion's in Christ, and you're settled, and that didn't matter where he plugs you in. Oh, I can plug. Hey, Dave is obedient to me. We see the obedience of, uh, of Jacob all through this story. He, he's obeying his mom, he's obeying his dad. Obey, okay, 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 and he's going. He's not the son that says, yeah, 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 and doesn't do it. He does it. Remember that story? I love that story. You ask your son to take your two sons. Hey, take out the trash. Yeah, Dad, sure thing. Half hour later, there's the trash. All right, he's gone. He went to baseball practice. The other one's there. Hey, can you take the trash? And he screams and throws himself on the floor. Half hour later, the trash is taken out. Jesus said, which one obeyed his father? Jacob's obeying. We need to come to that place of obedience to him. This is especially powerful repetition and repeat of the blessing that he'd already given him and comforting for a young man who has no idea where he's going. I'm going to Haran. I've got to find Laban. That's all he knows. You know, that's a 500-mile journey. Wow. He needed that, and God gave it to him, and he obeyed him in verse 7. That's a true sign of a godly man. So this 500-mile trip, he doesn't know what's going to happen. Unknown to him, it's going to last 20 years. He's going to find out what it means to be, to, if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Isn't that what Jesus said? So he's teaching Jacob one very important thing. If you want to live by deceiving, you're going to die by deceiving. He's going to get deceived and ripped off by who? Laban. For 20 years. He's going to learn a valuable lesson. Don't go there. And I don't see us doing, him again, doing that again. I think he's going to learn his lesson. But it's also a place where God's going to sort out him. I need, I need to go. I'm pushed out into the wilderness. Where, where did he send Israel? He delivers them from Egypt. And the first place he sends them to, the promised land. And there they lived happily ever after. He sent them to the wilderness. When Jesus comes, he's anointed. The, dove, uh, the spirit comes down in the form of a dove. He said, this is my beloved son. His ministry starts. And where does the Spirit lead him? Into the wilderness. Where is Jacob going? He's going to find himself in the wilderness. He's going to find a rock for a pillow. You want to find comfort in this circumstance of this world? Forget it. But God's going to use that as an altar, a place of worship, that rock, that stone. He could have had a little uh, uh, Motel 6 waiting for him with a nice, soft, fluffy pillow because that's what I'd want. He uses that to temper us and to strengthen us. Every bit of self-reliance, every cell in our body has to come into uniformity and conformity to him. Not to the flesh, 
That's a rational, logical thinking. That's not a man of faith. Or pride. I love this. He came to a certain place. He's going to name it. But you know what? We all come to a certain place in our life where God wants to meet us. And you know what? You're probably not going to recognize it. Because that place is hard. He's sleeping on the ground and he has a, for a, a rock, a rock for his pillow. That's where he's finding comfort. There's no comfort here. But God's going to come to this place. God is engineering the circumstance and the mess that we've created is really, you know, that stuff that got spilled all over. You had a little Petri dish there and all that gunk kind of fell in there. It starts to grow things. It's God's Petri dish. The circumstances, the things that we goof up, that's what he uses to grow. Not just moldy, yucky stuff. He's going to transform that. Doesn't he transform our ugliness into something useful, practical, and eternal? Amen. What do you do with the disciples? Jesus is longing for solitude. Do you see him doing that? Especially in Luke. He's off. He wants to go off and pray. He wants to get away from the crowds. He needs solitude. God sends his people. Where did he send Moses? And we want some iPod, MP3, something plugged in my ear 24 hours, 7 days a week. How can you hear the Lord with that noise going on? It's noise. That's his fear. A stone, but is it? He finds this stone pillow. Verse 11. He stayed there all night. It's dark. He's in a low spot. Are you, have you ever been in a low spot? Isn't that like the fertile ground for the Lord to meet you? the night, he's lost his family. He's lost everything that he's ever known. He's 75 years old. He's been very accustomed to his routine of life and the things that he had and, uh, and the things that he walked with and lived with. Because this world is a hard, unyielding, unfriendly place. If you think it's otherwise, you better come to grips with that. Because even your closest family members become your enemies. And they might have, you might have a dear close friend that'll sell you for 30 pieces of silver at that. Where's our anchor and where's our hope need to be? Now I can, you can shake your fist at the Lord at the circumstances you had. You can put on that positive confession. You can put on possibility thinking. You want to go to that big church? You can do that. Or I can gain comfort in knowing that God's working in my life. And this is where he does his best work. When I've messed it up and I'm alone, I'm all by myself, I have nothing else to... He knocks all those things that prop you up. You know, your abilities, your strength, your understanding, your routine, your this and your... He just knocks one thing after another. How many is that... How, has that ever happened to you? Everything that you leaned on and stood on and you thought was firm, he just takes it out. And we can curse him and get angry at him. Or I can lay down and surrender to him and know that God has called me to himself. I don't know, I'll probably even get maybe we'll finish. No, I don't know. Jacob's ladder, we do this quick. Who knows who Jacob's ladder is? Is that our mediator? 
God stands at the top, and he sends the ladder down. Isaiah says it twice. He said, God, look, there was no intercessor, so he sent his own arm down to bring salvation. That's the difference between Christianity and every other human religion on the face of this planet. It comes down to this very simple fact. Man cannot reach up to God, and that's what every earthly human religion does. If you do this, this, and this, or you become this or this, or you're going to be this or, you know, you have to become something, and you're going to find God. No, he reaches. Christianity is you are lost and hopeless and destitute without power, without strength, and, and dead. And he reaches down. That's a picture of the ladder. And Jesus said, I'm the ladder. Nathaniel, you thought you, you, you're, yeah, you believe? Well, you're going to see me ascending, angels ascending on me. I'm the ladder. I'm the ladder. I'm the bridge. I'm the mediator. Come to me. The angels of God are going to be ascending and descending on me. Oh, Lord. Can you imagine what Jacob's feeling? This is no happenstance revelation. He knows, God knows who to go to. He knows who has a heart for him. He knows who has somebody that's got an eternal kingdom purposes that's minded that way, his heart's inclined to that. That's who God shows up to. He said, I'm the God of the universe, but I'm going to come and dwell with those who are humble and a contrite heart. That's what he says on Isaiah twice. The heavens of the heavens, he says, cannot contain you. But I will dwell with him who's humble and a contrite heart. Who has a, he, uh, then I know he has a humble and contrite heart. Contrasted with Esau, who's profane, who doesn't care. He says, I am with you, oh Lord. I'll keep you wherever you go. You, can you take that promise for yourself? It's a promise to Jacob. It's a promise to you. And I'm going to bring you back. Jesus said, I'm going away, but I'm going to bring you back to me. Huh? You're going to end up with him where he dwells. You ever thought about heaven? It's Christ. He's the temple. He's the light of the... He, he, we're going to be inside him, but he's, he's also the temple. It's going to be weird. Only God can... I, every th- I don't know. I don't have time to talk about it, but it's awesome. It blows my mind. God possesses tremendous keeping power, doesn't he? Jesus said, What the Father's given to me is in my hand, and no one can snatch it out of my hand, and I have kept them to the end, Lord. I've kept them. I've fulfilled your will, and I'm going to bring them back. I love Jacob when he wakes up in verse 16. He says, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Some of you realize in the, when you look back at your circumstances, 2020 hindsight is so perfect when you see God. Lord, help us to see him in the moment. Did the men on the road to Emmaus recognize Christ? No. Did Mary recognize Christ? When the disciples came in from fishing, there's bread. He made, Jesus came back and made breakfast for them. Wow. He served them. He's got a breakfast waiting for you in the morning. You say, oh, I can't wake up. I'm so tired. Wake up. He's got a breakfast. He's awake ahead of you. He's made a breakfast, a meal of manna for you for that day. He wants to bless you. 
spend time with him. In 17, he said he was afraid, but that this God lives here, and he says, this is an awesome place because God did not, he didn't check him into the Motel 6 that was just around the corner, the rock of where he was at. God didn't change one set of circumstances in Jacob's life, but in that moment, he came to him, and his presence changed everything. When I'm in bad circumstances, what do I pray? Oh, Lord, get me out of this. Lord, this, this uh, uh, ailment I have, get rid of it. This money issue I have, give me some money so I can take care of this bill. I have these circumstances in my life that I need to be fixed. But what I really need is his presence. The rock was still a rock. He's still in the desert by himself on the ground. And he said, this is awesome. I love this place. This is the throne of God. What was I thinking? Why was I so depressed? Why was I so messed up? Why was I so, oh, Paul would say the things that have happened to me have done what? Further the gospel. The chains that are on me have pushed and propelled the gospel forward. And all of the Roman guard there, this royal guard, he was in Caesar's. He was cut, put him right against, right up there. Paul and Silas in the middle of the prison cell, they weren't, they weren't released and said, after they were released, they praised the Lord. They're praising the Lord. And the Lord says, Paul, that's cool. I'll get you out of there. Come on, let's go. They didn't need their circumstances changed. God wants to relieve us of that, free us from that. And I love this. He was going to rise up early in the morning. And the very stone that was such a hard place becomes a place of worship for him. A place of memorial. He's going to remind himself, call this place Bethel, the face of God. And I love this, poured oil on it. Doesn't get any better than that. That drink offering, it's a picture of the drink offering to come. It's a picture of uh, the alabaster box of perfume that was dumped out on the Lord. And the, and, and the disciples are going, what a waste, because she dumped it out. You know what our lives need to be poured out upon him in worship. Just poured out. Never to be, once it's poured out, how do you recover it? Pour the oil over on this rock. It binds itself into the sand. You can't, it'll never, you'll never get it back. Don't you get it? That's how the Lord, that's our greatest form of worship. And our showing of love to him is the pouring out of our lives to him. Just pour it out expecting anything in return you just left it just left you it's gone and jesus said that woman their memorial there's a memorial here because it's recorded it's just simple oil it was just perfume but it's recorded it's going to be you're going to read this in the book in the word of god in heaven for all eternity wow i wonder how many pages maybe my name's there and, and Frank poured out himself to the Lord. Is this Bible done being written? Maybe not. Didn't say it was the end, uh, the end of the chapter. I wonder how what the Lord records in heaven. And do you know he listens? And Malachi says, I listen to what they're saying about me, and I do what? Record it. So maybe there is a book. With your name in it, your name in it, your name, my name. 
And that opportunity where you could have cursed, or you've been angry, and I've been angry at the Lord, well, he'll forgive me. And he's had to do a few things to correct me. And I say, thank you. And I look back at the blessing that it was. It was the house of God. It was the face of the Lord. It was God who put me in this place. Jacob's going to make a vow. Some people say that this is him again. You know, this Jewish, this anti-Semitic thought that he's bargaining with God. He says, Jacob made a vow, if God will be with me. Isn't that what it sounds like? It's no. In the Hebrew, it's since God is with me. Because he loved me. Why do I love God? Because he what? First loved me. Jacob's received the love of God, and now this vow is just bubbling out of him. Flowing. It's beautiful. Don't reduce it to some bargain thing that he's given. Here's an expanded translation, and we'll be done. Whereas God will indeed be with me I will, and will keep me in the way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on my foot, my foot on and will bring me again to my father's house in peace. And Jehovah will be my God. Therefore, this stone which I have set for a pillar shall make a spot where I will worship God. And of all that you give me, Lord, I will surely give you a tenth. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful that we could give anything to the creator of the heavens and the earth, that we have any value, we have anything of any value. And in this story, we see the value of a surrendered heart, of the humility and brokenness and contriteness, Lord, that you would desire us to have. But Lord, with that is great value to you. And Lord, you would call Jacob a prince, you would change his name to Israel, much as you changed the name of Simon to Peter. Lord, change our name. Lord, transform us. Help us, Lord, to cooperate with that process. And by faith, Lord, by faith, we walk and we trust and we hope and we endure and we with great love, pour ourselves out to you in worship. Bless us tonight. And as this week unfolds, this month unfolds, this year, this life, we would walk in a way that be pleasing to you, yielded and submitted. And Lord, you would sort us out. You would separate the flesh from the spirit in my own life. Now, Lord, you we pass through that refining fire we've already been refined it will be a pleasant experience for us because we pass through complete without any of our works being burned up help us to walk in such a way bless your people Lord help us not to miss the opportunities that you present to us Lord and when we fail to recognize you Lord show yourself as you always do in your name we pray everybody said Amen. You're dismissed. Sorry, I kept you. But we're, we got through the. We got it through all of it. Amen. Amen.